Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. What an inspiring conversation with our guest this week, Simone Rosario. I agree. I mean, that is somebody who's done a huge amount in her career and certainly sat here and inspired me with some of the things that she was saying. I think it's really interesting how she's come full circle. She started out in dentistry, tried to get away with her oral microbiology degree, but ultimately she always ended up coming back. And so lovely to hear people being active in their professional societies, volunteering, doing a whole host of different things outside their clinical work. And she had some really inspirational advice for any listener, whoever you are. So sit back, listen up. Here's Simone Rosario. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Welcome, Simone. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you. Um, With all of our guests, we like to take it right back to the start initially before we get on to what you're up to at the moment. And I think you started your education in chemistry and then microbiology and then went into dental hygiene and therapy. So can you just tell us a little bit about where where that started from why chemistry why microbiology initially okay so for me it was um in my early days when i was a at high school or secondary school we used to call it and i did my work experience and it was at the time when you could actually have contact with patients and there wasn't heavy regulations around then and so I was able to learn quite quickly the art of um, dental nursing okay and so so dentistry did appear before it, before those it then. did it did but just as a Saturday job okay. um I you know obviously finished my high school and I had always been doing dentistry for such a long time that actually I wanted to do something different and try something different loved the sciences and then went to do chemistry but then by the end of my first year realized I didn't want to be a chemist and as I was still working during uni as like a dental nurse during the holidays and at weekends one of my dentists that I was working quite closely with um, suggested why don't I think about dental hygiene and I'd not heard of it then it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, yeah, then I made a swift change from chemistry into medical microbiology. So I wanted to finish my degree and then I applied in my final year to dental hygiene and dental therapy. And I got in straight away when at the time when everybody was saying it was so hard to get in, which it is, um, but I was fortunate enough to get in first time round. Perhaps you had the X factor. Must Perhaps, <laughs> uh, yeah. I had I had strong faith, and I only applied to two schools because I had already been away for three years with uni, so I didn't want to be away any longer. So I only applied to Eastman, which was quite interesting, and Barts in the London. I didn't get into Eastman, uh, but I got into Barts. So this is quite an interesting um, roundabout that I've come full circle. <laughs> here with you guys today. So you got pulled back into I've dentistry then. You couldn't in. get away from dentistry. No. Was, was the medical microbiology, was that ever on the cards as a kind of long-term career path? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I was looking at virology because I was interested in um, viruses. I have a real passion around the environment. So I was thinking maybe going into environmental sciences as well. So I was, yeah, you know, I was 19. I had so many options, but yeah 
then and energy for it all by the sounds of things yes that hasn't left me yet (laughs) (laughs) that's good So in your early um, career, Mm. once you qualified, you were involved in research and clinical trials. Yes. So that's that's not your sort of average pathway for a newly qualified um, hygienist from dental school. So Mm. what made you go down that path? Again, utilising the skills I had already that from my medical microbiology. So it was um, a halitosis clinical trial. So therefore it would utilize my medical microbiology. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to try something different and yeah. And what did you do with that? I mean, that, that, uh, so that was a funded... Is it top secret? Are no. you allowed to sort of... Run? I don't think Talk so. <laughs> I mean, I think we're pushing nearly 20 years post, so maybe it's been archived or burnt, <laughs> the, 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 the data. But no, it was to help um, at the time GSK when they were developing the Aquafresh range of um, toothpaste and seeing how effective they were. So I was involved in recruiting participants and actually running the trials so got training on gas chromatography and mass spectrometers and various things like that um so yeah we ran but obviously you had an inside knowledge with your microbiology exactly yeah did you go looking for that how how did that come i'm Uh, interested as to how (laughs) one ends up in that i know it was again at the end of my final year the role was being posted so it was as i finished um uni dental school uh, and applied and I suppose it helped it was based out of QM and um, you know I was a student there so I suppose that helped as well. I guess you ticked all the boxes with your previous history. I I believe I think the medical microbiology helped. And then since then you've gone on to do some other things (laughs) and one of those other things is some more postgraduate study. Yeah. So starting off with chemistry doing your medical microbiology doing your dental training wasn't enough you wanted to do some more education and you did a master's in public health is that right that is correct so what what led to to that happening (laughs) what's the story behind that um so that came about through my outreach work so i do a lot well i did uh a lot of outreach work with dentaid which is a dental charity and um, I've always had a passion for outreach. So again, even before dentistry, um, as I was finishing uni, I did my first kind of Christian outreach to Serbia. And um, that kind of spurred me on in doing things for others and going to places that people didn't want to go to. So I've always had that passion. And then through that, I wanted to explore more around policy and how that works. Um, So the masters actually came about when as I always say, normal people, when they're on maternity, spend time with their child. Um, I decided to start my master's (laughs) Um, and it was the best thing. I really enjoyed it. And it was at a point where I'd been practicing now for about 12 years or so. And so I was at a point where I was trying to decide what did I want to do? And with all the outreach work, I was then deciding, did I want to go into the development sector? Did I want to go into humanitarian work? Um, I was even ready to enroll in like an emergency roster and like leave the three kids and go off when something terrible was happening somewhere. Um, but yeah, I just decided, no, I would wanted to be more involved with understanding how implementation of policy happens. Um, and so that's where I started the masters. 
what was your cohort like? Was was, was it all different people? Was were you unusual as a a dental hygienist there or yeah well it was a distance so I did it out of the University of Manchester which was really good really flexible um, but I did blended modules because again I wanted a taste of university life so I would go up and do blended modules up, at, up at Manchester at weekends it helped again because my husband's family he has family in Manchester so I'd always bolt it on with visiting family um, and yeah so it was a mix you had people from all over the world and I, again, I just like to be involved in things. So I was like the student representative as well <laughs> for our cohort. <laughs> so it allowed me to engage with the rest of the students. You obviously say yes a lot. Uh, or you, or, or I am you... learning to say no. <laughs> I have learned to say no and I've learned to Or yes to, to education, should I say. Love education and I give thanks to my mum for that. Because she inspired you. I mean, I know we're talking about you today, but we yeah, can always give no, her a mention. Give her a shout out. But um, yeah, she inspired me, but she made us understand when I say us, me and my siblings, appreciate the value of education. She didn't have the access to it as I have had. And so she knew it would make a difference to our lives. So social mobility does work. <laughs> And I think I just want to pick up on a couple of things that you said there. So one of the things was about outreach mm -hmm. and volunteering. Yes. And I think you've, well, you've obviously done that in various different places. I think one of those places was in Zimbabwe. That's is that right? correct, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and maybe the good things, the benefits, the things that you enjoyed about that, but mm -hmm. also maybe some of the challenges with, with that as well? Yeah. So um, Zimbabwe came about because my husband is Zimbabwean. And when we first got married, I lived in Zimbabwe. Where I was um, already doing work with our local church on the dental side. So we had a really strong medical team. And so I supported the dental team just while I was there. So coming back, it was amazing to be able to then partner with Dentaid. They were already very established in Uganda and Cambodia, but they hadn't had a team go out to Southern Africa. So I worked closely in developing that pilot and that project. Um, and the challenges would be the initial part, the logistics, um, where are people going to stay, the um, PR or the, the, you know, the, the image of Zimbabwe, people obviously apprehensive about going to Zimbabwe. Um, but obviously I've lived there. I know the other side of it. So that was uh, an opportunity to be able to share that cause. So yeah, working with partners here, but then also dealing the challenges, dealing with the interesting uh, political system in Zimbabwe. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. And, um, but it was fun, you know, I learned a lot and we had such great achievements. Our first trip, we took 10, um, dental professionals from the UK and we did work for the first week there and we saw over a thousand children um, we travelled to and again because I had my own area of Zimbabwe that is personal to me we went to that rural area because I was living on a farm when I was living there so we took the team to the local hospital there and we worked there we worked we, and, and there we partnered with um another NGO that was like a social services. And so that team, they did everything, but they didn't have a dental element to their 
So you're access. really, really making a big difference to a lot of people. I mean, a thousand children Hopefully. in one week is, yeah, that's going for it. We did. We did. And we went back again and again. And it was literally... And again, by the yeah, sounds of things, you went back we many did. years running. We did. I didn't go one year because I was pregnant, um, but we sent a team. Still sent people, but I couldn't go. And then the following year, we went again and... Yeah, we were due to go back for 2020 because I took a year out while I was finishing my master's. But we were due to go back in 2020. But I'm still in relationships with the team there. They're still using the donations that we've received from Dentaid because they sent like a mobile unit there. So they still go out because that was my big thing that we weren't just going there for two weeks and then we all pack up our bags and see you next year. It was about leaving and equipping. Yeah. The locals, a real as legacy, well. equipping the locals with, t- with well. tools. Yeah, yeah. So, just to get my head around this timeline, so you trained, so you trained here. I did, and then you there was a period of working here, and yeah. then you worked in Zimbabwe, and then you came back. Yeah. So, so were you do, doing clinical work in Zimbabwe before the volunteering aspect? Or no, no, I was more supporting the local teams there Hmm. and I was working with our church there so I was doing more of the administration side within the church Um, and then yeah so I was supporting the local teams there and then when I came back to the UK um, I got involved with Dentaid and then we started to send teams over. It must have been an incredible experience obviously for the people that you helped but for the people that the the clinicians that went to volunteer as well. I hope so yeah and again Many of them are still dear friends. You know, it's an experience for them. A lot of them hadn't been to that part of the world and it was good to um, shift their mindset as to what Zimbabwe is really mm. like and how beautiful mm. the people I, are I've there. I've done volunteer work, not not in Africa, but yeah. I did it in Israel. Yes. Um, and that is equal, you know, it, it is quite an amazing yeah. experience for, on lots of different levels. I mean, Absolutely. I think you, you learn a lot about, obviously, the political side of... Yeah. Uh, provision of care yes you learn a lot about people that you're doing your volunteer work yes. with because it's going to take a different characters you're going to take a particular type of person to want to do that sort mm. of thing um but but i think to be leaving a legacy simone must be must give you a lot of joy hopefully yeah it is fulfilling yeah do you think that's changed your practice coming back as well do you think that's changed how your outlook on dentistry and how you see things now that you're back here well both of you really I, <laughs> I haven't been anywhere and done any volunteer work so I wondered if that has impacted both of you in terms of your your coming back to the UK I think like we said at the beginning because I've always had a heart for outreach and those are more disadvantaged than myself um, I always look for that even yeah like you said when I've come back now and I'm more mature clinician and I've had all the different experiences of life um you do absolutely apply that to my day-to-day job now so as well as doing this outreach work and and training and helping um people in Zimbabwe you do a lot of training and helping clinicians in the UK with your very well your historically your various roles as, as a brand ambassador so how did you get into that role? How did you get into training, giving talks and things yeah. back here? Um, I would have to give Ben more credit to 
the BSDHT, so the British Society of Dental Hygiene and Therapy, where I've been involved in quite active, but also my work when I then crossed over to Procter & Gamble. So in that period of starting my master's, I was making that career shift and then went to work for Procter & Gamble. So I knew I needed to make a change. And so I did leave clinical practice and I joined um, or the Oral-B professional team. And that then also gave me untold skills and being able to present because now as much as I was on the field um, engaging with clinicians in practice I was also working with the dental schools and having to support academics faculty and also the new students and future professionals so that was where I started to do a lot of my speaking. So it's it's very clear that you're quite an experienced speaker you've done a number of presentations um, to multiple different uh, members of the teams and in dentistry, but what do you think would be your sort of top tips for for people who are either thinking about doing this or at the beginning of their really early career that they feel that this is something that mm. they want to get a bit more involved in? Um, practice. <laughs> it's really important to learn your material. Um, I would also encourage uh, future speakers to learn your material and then ask questions if you're unsure because it it really does make a difference if you don't know your material so just being confident in yourself because hopefully you do know your material um but yeah practice is really an important part of it um i always say it's always good to have a power pose sometimes just talk to yourself present to others if you do have the time if you have someone there that can listen um, another good one is also record yourself um, presenting before you go live. Then you can watch back and just see all the erms that you kind <laughs> yeah. of make when you and do that. And we do all do them. It's and quite natural do. to do them, isn't it? Because even at the weekend I was presenting and I could hear myself going super fast and I would just tell myself to slow down, slow down. You know, so you can just, you you will be able to see that. Um so yeah, that would be my main thing is is practicing your material and being confident that you know your material. And if you're unsure on something within the material that you're presenting, ask questions about it to someone. If someone's given you a, a deck to present for them, then ask questions around that so you're clear on what, what you need I, to I say. I like your idea of sort of almost videoing yourself because I think lots of us, you know, we, we don't do... We do lots of photographs, yes, but we don't do lots of sort of moving images of yeah. us, and we don't necessarily hear our voices yeah. in, in quite the same way. And if you are presenting, then then I think those those voice yes. things are important, mm -hmm. and your projection. <laughs> yeah, look, look at me, <laughs> yes. the projection of your words and all of that sort that's of thing. Right. So yeah. I, I think that's that's good advice for for new people who are on that that sort of yeah. circuit of uh, lecture giving. So yeah. thank you, thank you. So talking about giving advice, um, you're somebody that's had experience of coaching on a, a personal level as well as helping coach other people. So wh what do you think, what do you see as the benefit of coaching? How has that impacted you? How have you seen that impact other people? I know we've given some kind of informal coaching there about presenting, but mm. how, how, how do you see coaching playing a part in maybe people that are listening's career? Oh, wow. I cannot under... Uh, state how in, invaluable having 
a coach or a mentor. They're two different things. Um, a mentor is someone that you can literally go, everything that's in your head, just get it out of your head and someone that can hopefully pull it back in. A coach maybe is more like, where are you giving you a bit more direction? or hoping that you can get some more direction. They do interlink, absolutely. Um, but the mentors I've had have been really someone that you can trust um, and you should be able to trust. You should be able to have a natural um, rapport with them that you can just feel that you can reach out to them at any point, not necessarily that you call them at any hour, <laughs> but someone that you could, you know, I'm just, even just thinking of someone, I would have an idea of something or, you know, and I could just ping this individual a message saying, can I can I just have five minutes? I just want to yeah, sound I'm, this I'm out. I'm always sort of interested by things like that. Is it is it do you have an, a, a sort of formal arrangement with this person or or yeah. is it sort of an unsaid thing? I mean, is this somebody that you're doing something formally with or is this a friend or is this a colleague or? Yeah. Probably a bit of all three yeah, of those, perhaps it, even. All different ways. I mean, some um, I know personally. So a current mentor and coach I have now, I know personally. But we, I still keep it very professional in that sense of I wouldn't just call that person up on any time about an idea that I've had. I would either text or send an email. Um, and again, after even after the coaching session, and I might see them in a social environment, I wouldn't necessarily be then engaging in our mentoring sessions when I'm seeing them socially. So you've got to set boundaries, um, but it would be someone that I could call upon and, and engage with, yeah. And these are the sorts of things that are, like you say, are becoming increasingly more popular and valued by people. Yes. So perhaps just tease out why you feel that's valuable to our listeners. Why do you think having a mentor or a coach gives you something that perhaps your friend, mm. your sister, your yeah. colleague might not give you? Um, so someone from my background, so for those that can't see me, I am a black woman, a black dental professional. And generally from my background, we haven't necessarily had access to different um, tools when it comes to navigating um, industry, navigating professional life. And so having someone at a senior level, so generally someone that I'm having as a mentor would be someone that's more senior than me, ideally. Um, they can give you that insight as to maybe how you may think on things, how you may approach things. So that's how I see the value of having a, a mentor. It just can help support any imposter syndromes that you may have had, um, any doubts that you may have around your own abilities. Um, so they are also there hopefully to encourage you, but also to direct you as well. If you may be going a bit left in something or you may want to have an impulse reaction to something, then they could be that individual that before you make that phone call or before you write that email, that could set your career off on flames. They could be that person that could just kind of calm it down or reflect with, because again, you know, we know about the mental health and we know about well-being. 
sometimes we store things in our heads and overplay them in our heads and make our own movies about them but having someone that you can sound it out with can actually bring a bit of clarity so not necessarily they're a therapist yeah but just someone because i could <laughs> no, see but you. I, <laughs> I, i'm listening to you saying that and i'm guessing that when you have experienced something like this mm. then you almost want to sprinkle that mentor that coaching dust with somebody else 100 percent, yeah you so do. Yeah. Is that something that you now feel as though you are really in a position to do at the stage of your career that you are now? I would like to think I could. I would like to think I am um, a positive role model for the next generation of dental professionals. Um, but you would, can never stop being mentored. So even the mentors that I have, like I said, senior people, than more senior than me, they also still have mentors. So I don't think you can ever stop having someone that is there to support you and encourage you in your career or your academic journey. Uh, you never can stop having that support. Yeah, that's really interesting. That resonates actually, that resonates with me quite a lot when you were saying about somebody to speak to when something happens and you're in a bit of a flap or whatever, who's yes. going to give you some sensible advice. Yes. And I, you might not even think of that person as a, a mentor, but actually there are people around in those positions that can do that. I can yes. think of somebody that, that's done that for me. And I think it's, it's, it is invaluable to have that person that you can go to. And yeah. I think it doesn't need to be a formal arrangement in terms of coaching, but no. just somebody that you can have those conversations Absolutely. with and can give you a little bit of a guidance and a bit of a push in the right direction. Yeah, And I guess... For anybody listening that maybe doesn't have that person, how can they go about finding that person? I feel this is the, the next step of this conversation, but I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. Well, if you are a member of BSDHT, we do actually have a coaching and mentoring scheme as a member benefit. Um, so they, that is there for our membership. But again, there are a wealth of people. I would actually say speak to your network because you may be surprised as they may be able to introduce you to someone. Um, so again, I, I know that again, there's loads of people online. I've not, ne I wouldn't, I don't know. I can't verify and say whether that works, but for me, it's been more on personal recommendation when I felt like I've needed a little bit of guidance in one area. I'll have a mentor for this thing. Um, when I was working for P&G, I had uh, mentors within the corporate setting and also in the dental setting. So yeah, I'd say call on your network because um, you'd be surprised. And I, I think you say about this network thing and I think during the whole COVID time when we didn't have that network, mm. where we weren't able to see people in quite the same way, yes. we weren't able to go to conferences. Yes. Um, and now we talk about lots of things being online yes. and I want to sort of steer people away from that almost. I want to say go back to conference, go, go back to talking to those people in the queues for the coffee yes. and that sort of thing. I agree. So is that really what you're trying to also say? Some of these things are better off being done face to face or could you do some of this online? Uh, yes, again because of the way the world is now we know you can access support um virtually so with one of the mentors i have you know i live in bedfordshire they live south of the country we, we're not going to meet face to face necessarily but we can we have the power of teams so we can do that however 
if I know that there's a big conference coming up, it'll be great to then meet that individual and arrange mm. a coffee with that person. So I totally agree. There is definitely power in physical contact, even like this session today. I thought it was going to be online, but no, it's great to actually be here in, in person. So yeah, there's you can't take away the power of meeting someone physically and getting that energy from that individual when you're in the presence of them but yet we have tools that we can use. So yeah, both work. You've already mentioned the British Society of Dental Hygiene and Therapy a couple of times, and you've held various roles within that. Um, so I guess what, what got you into, into that? What got you into helping out with that society? And then is there anything interesting, any projects that you're working on at the moment that might uh, inspire or be useful for our listeners. The mentoring is already one of those, <laughs> which is good to get. Yes. Um, what got me, so student days, again, the power of having meetings. We used to host, because um, obviously I went to the London school, so uh, we used to host the London regional meetings. Um, so I've always kind of been a student member, then a bit more of a, a passive member when I was in my career and starting my family. But then when I came back to the UK, um, I did want to get connected again to the society and be more involved. So yeah, that's that's how I kind of got, I've always been part of the society. Um, what am I doing now? So I'm currently the elected honorary treasurer. So I have a director role within the society. Um, and that's brought new challenges, but I'm excited with that because I'm learning something that I've- Mathematical challenges? <laughs> uh, no, actually like, yeah, budgets and strategy, but it's all exciting things, looking at the projects and how, you know, we support our members. It's always members first, um, but that's like, the, I would say the day job, although it's not, <laughs> you know, it's still a um, voluntary role. Um, and so the other passion I have within the society is my diversity and inclusion and belonging role. So I'm one of the founding members um, that came out of the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Um, we got together, there was a team of four of us initially. And at the time, our current president um, and president-elect were quite involved as well, just getting it going. And then um, we then wanted to hear from our membership. So we really, evolved we're not necessarily in your face as a as a working group but we like to have a pulse check on things when our society are posting things or if imagery may not look so right then we would be able to be that voice to call it out um we like to write articles um we want to host yeah, various been in the bdj yeah we did we got yeah, there through, so. through through that that was through the survey that we conducted with our members um and that was really really insightful to hear from our members what they want and what they need um and so yeah that's that's a, a big area that i'm i'm working on so i was really involved as well before with our publications team because we have our own journal so i spent about five six years working with the publications team but then taking on the honorary role and then still wanted to be active within the dib group i knew i needed to put a bucket down and unfortunately the publications bucket had to be put down but they've got a great team um they're under a strong leadership there so i stood down from publications and 
yeah working quite active within the div working group and and that's that sounds like that's a really very satisfying role for you and a very necessary role within the society absolutely and that's it you know yes it was birthed out of tragedy but it's not just about um race and ethnicity and we've put a spotlight on that and we've hoped that our membership can see we're making improvements in our representation in our advertising and various things like that but we know that there are other protected characteristics so we've got hopefully new people joining that are passionate about neurodiversity around lgbtq ai plus i've learned <laughs> today as well um so yeah we are literally there for all of our members that present in whatever shape or form they wish that's very lovely to hear. I wish you were with that project. Thank you. So I think it's it's evident from from everything that we've heard that uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion's uh, a big thing and is very very dear to your heart. Yeah. Um, a very big question, but what can we do as a profession to develop in that area and do and do better? Do you think? Uh, it's good to see where the profession's going. Um, um, it's been an interesting journey. I know it's not been well received by all aspects of the profession but it's a necessary one um it's good to see that research is being done um at the lack of representation across the various professions um and so for what we could do just as a professional you know just stay aware do your reading do your uh, awareness um you know, upskill yourself. There's so much stuff out there to read and understand. Um, and I think it's just really about being, you know, if you are of the majority, then be that ally, be that person that will speak up for that individual that cannot necessarily speak up for themselves. And so even for myself, as much as I come from a diverse background, I know I am also now privileged. So I also have the responsibility to help those that are less fortunate than me. So just because I come from a minority background doesn't mean that I ha I'm still in that place. I still have a role to do as well. So everyone has something to do when it comes to um, ED&I. And, um, and it's about being that voice, being a silent person um, is not good enough. And so you need to call it out. So for me, even if I see my dental nurses not being treated fairly, um, I will call it out. Um, so that's really important as well. Cause mm. I think a lot of times people get caught up with E&I on the race aspect. Well, especially from the experience that I've had, but it's not about that. It's just also about the individual and you don't know what other isms they're going through in their in their day life yeah that's very thought-provoking and i'm yeah thank <laughs> you for sharing that i think it would be fair to describe you as a leader i mean i think there's a very good reason why we got you on this podcast yeah you know we're we're, we're asking people who we consider could be inspirational motivational and, and educational and, and clearly you said a number of things today that are all of those things but what sort of advice would you give to a less experienced colleague who is who is inspired by you who is motivated by what they're hearing you say 
what sort of things do you think they could do that would small steps that would make them become perhaps somebody like yourself yeah I was thinking about that question because that really actually resonated with me as to how did I get here um and so I was laughing with my siblings around (laughs) you know a prophet has no honor in their own home because my siblings will just see me as sim and they don't see anything more than that but then out here I've been called a leader so that does make me laugh Uh, you just make sure they listen to this (laughs) no actually she my sister was one of the people that I did practice with on a different presentation I was giving and she was actually blown away she was like I didn't even know you did all of that stuff but for someone coming in I would say to them get involved in your um local group um, whether it's your local association at regional level, that's how I started. Um, it's scary at first, you, you know, you'll, you'll be asked to do a task um, and you don't know how you're going to do it, but you'll be surprised, you learn. So I'd always say get involved in any group. I do so many other little things, like I volunteered with the um, school nursery group you know I was involved with them or at the moment our community are we hold a big festival every year so it doesn't necessarily have to be a dental um association when I'm saying getting yeah, involved that's a good point actually yeah, yeah. it really it? doesn't mm. you know um you can get involved at your local level in your community in your town and it does bring benefits you get to meet new people hear the latest gossip in the town <laughs> um so yeah and it does stretch you as well so again know your capability know your capacity not capability your capacity um but if you can i would say giving up a few hours of your time would really make a difference so whatever you're giving you get twice as much back it sounds like absolutely i've got the t-shirt so yeah (laughs) so i think to bring it right back to where we started which was you saying 15 getting into dentistry, being a dental nurse, doing the clinical treatment. And even though you've done all of these different things in the meantime, what brings you back to clinical dentistry, do you think? What is it that attracts you to carry on doing that and not completely leave and and do any of these other things full time? Mm, That's really good because that's exactly what I've done. I worked with P&G for nearly five years and then through that time I always did keep working so I never gave up my Saturday job still worked Saturdays um not dental nursing not dental nursing (laughs) no (laughs) but um I still had a passion for oral health I still had a passion for seeing people transform I get a buzz from get seeing patients walk in absolutely petrified and terrified to wanting to give me a hug at the end of their session that is so fulfilling um and so yeah i did make that pivot again and i left png and went back into general practice really again because of the nhs reforms that were happening allowing dental therapists to be more accessible within surgery so that was that's been a real pleasure to go back into general practice um and still have the skills and be a student again so I had to, you know, re- feel like I needed to retrain because I hadn't worked as a therapist for so long. Um, so that's that's re- rekindled the passion for clinical dentistry. So I think by your own admission, you've done 
your initial bit of work mm. as a dental hygienist. Yes. And then you found yourself in a working environment where you felt as though you were sufficiently mentored, supported, that you could rekindle those skills of being a dental therapist. Yes. That must have been quite a special place to be, that you've, you've found a place that you felt that comfortable, that you hadn't worked for a while, but you, yes. you could then restart again, as it were. Absolutely. Yeah, I was really encouraged. I was so nervous about going back and doing dental therapy. As I have alluded to, I hadn't, although I duly qualified, um, I hadn't practiced as a therapist, um, which was which was a shame. But I loved dental hygiene and, you know, I was passionate about that. But yes, last year I was uh, fortunate enough to um, connect with a practice, again, who I used to look after when I was doing my oral B role. Um, and they they have got, we haven't, you know, we've got a good model of utilizing the dental therapist. They know the benefits of using the dental therapist in practice. We work um, closely with our dental dentists. Um, they refer patients and you have a good relationship with them. So we can provide NHS treatment to patients that would probably have to wait months, quite literally, when I went back into practice. The treatment plans were dated, let's say, March or February of 22. And I was seeing them in the August that year because they had to wait so long before they could get the treatment. Now a dentist could see them last week or the end of the month and I can see them a couple of weeks later. We've been able to catch up. So it's been really beneficial being able to work closely like that and provide NHS care. But not everybody's in that lucky position, are they? But do you think the tides are changing with dental therapy and general practice? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's they obviously going to happen. But they I... can if they, if they, yeah, it's, 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 it is possible. I absolutely feel it is so possible. Um, you just got to have the right mindset and obviously a great team. And I've got a great team at Obex. Um, and they've been really supportive, really encouraging to me. Um, I cannot thank them. So I think the that. moral behind this whole thing is finding the right place. Right place that will support because you. Because actually that makes all the yeah. difference. And the clinicians there have been so accessible because you work closely with a couple of dentists. So they, you, they're they referring the patients. So yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Nice experience. to hear. It is, it is possible <laughs> and you're respected. Anything possible. It is, yeah. Because I like to bring things full circle. So we started right at the start of your journey, all the interesting and inspiring things that you've done up until this point, the exciting things that you're doing now. I think it's only fair we say, what's the future hold? Is there anything on the horizon or maybe you're quite happy doing what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so funny. I feel like literally I'm giving my lecture that I did the other day back, but um, I always leave all options open. I feel so fortunate that I've had a taste of clinical practice, private sector, um, working with different organizations, whether it's the GDC or DDAG, I've had such great exposure to different elements. Um, I'm just seeing what happens. I'm enjoying where I am now. Um, I'm getting fulfillment in that at this point. I think 
what would keep me steady is just working still closely on the public health campaigns that I'd like to draw on. Um, something that I would like to explore more is around the social justice. So again, because of the practice I work in and we are a group of practices, many days there may be a vacant room, uh, you know, a surgery that's not being utilised. So something that I heard recently on the radio, which was that in Great Ormond Street, you know, they have, um, let's say, um, Citizen Vice Bureau coming in and being able to provide access to, to care for people or advice, sorry. So that is something that I'd like to explore in being able to be a bit more involved in our communities because when we engage with the whole person you understand that it's not just the dental needs that they have they may have that support that they need whether it's with mind or whether it is with the citizens advice bureau could we utilize services and have a bit more of a social impact for the patients we have you know we always see our patients at healthy so we have more touch points with our patients than maybe a GP service would have. So why do we not utilize our services in a different way and collaborate more with other partners to be able to provide that care? So that is something that I would like to fish out. Um, and then a bit more around the kind of health inequalities and just seeing what elements that could bring as well with regards to just raising more awareness around that. You know, I don't think it's going to be tackled in my generation, but it's just being aware and, and raising that awareness that we all have a responsibility for that. Very inspiring. I can't yeah, wait to that's, see that's, where you go next. That sounds like a really very clever, very inspired idea, really. Yeah, you're right. It's looking at the patient as a whole. And, yes. You know, we, we're realising the link with yes. health conditions in the uh, mouth. So actually, absolutely. why don't we just tease that out? even a tiny bit further yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so yeah. much thank for you so much us. for coming thank in thank you both thank you it's been a pleasure if you've been inspired by that episode did you know that the eastman dental hospital education center provide training for the whole dental team follow us on social media or search for the eastman dental hospital education center to find out more we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode we would love to hear your suggestions for future guests Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.